This is the Smartest One in the Room podcast, episode 5, Jesus Makes the Impossible Possible. My name is Olivia Kamek. I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a wife, a mother, and a disciple of Christ trying to fill my spiritual cup every day. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast to hear all the amazing insights and testimonies of my new guests each week. Okay, welcome, welcome. I'm here with an amazing woman. She's a mother of five, a grandmother of 16, an active member of her ward family in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a temple worker, and a contributing member of society. You're pretty much the full package, Cheryl. So welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here, and I'm just thrilled to have the opportunity to talk to you. Uh, I am grateful you're here. And more than gratitude, I am so impressed with you. I'm just, you're amazing. And you are such a great role model. And you have proven that Jesus Christ has made the impossible possible. So let's just get into it. I want you to tell me your story. Okay. So I grew up a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My parents were active my whole life. I had a great childhood definitely a wanted child, almost to the point of overprotected child, Um, grew up um, attending church, doing all the stuff that's the good check in the box stuff, felt like I had a testimony, felt like I knew and believed, um, fell away at the age of 16, and made some mistakes, but got back in the saddle at 19, and um, kind of pulled it together for a little while. And then uh, after I was married for a bit, I uh, struggled with a lot of things. Um, And I'm not really sure I have an answer to the question of, well, what do you think happened? Because I'm not sure that I'll ever really know. My guess is, is that conversion, which I believe has to be continual, was probably very sporadic at best. But um, anyways, at, at the young, young age of 30 Two, I decided it would be a good idea to drink and drug and walk away from my family. Now, there's a lot more to it before you get to that point. There was a lot of things that were going on in, in life. But um, to make the story fit in the time we have allotted, you can just know that drinking and drugging became my best friend. I thought it was the answer to questions. And then when I had a life event with my ex-husband that was um, super negative and I didn't know how to function with that, Um, I lived in a lot of shame and I made a lot more errors. And the next thing I know to fund my drinking and drugging habit, mostly my drugging habit, I turned to a life of crime and I managed to rack up 54 felonies. And those were just the ones they charged me with and um, ended up spending like a year and a half in a county jail and then four years in the Utah State Prison and um, have spent the last 20 plus years. uh, No, that's not true. The last 15 years out of prison and the last 20 years pulling my life together. And um, I don't think I look like a criminal. I don't think I sound like a criminal. I don't think I look or act today like a drug addict. 
but there was a time when there would have been no doubt in your mind. And if I had pictures to show you, you would have been like, oh yeah, for sure. That chick was a problem and you would have been hundred percent right. So, um, after going to jail, I had some experiences right before jail and that was pre-prison. And then during my stay in the jail while waiting to be sentenced to prison, I had some pretty amazing experiences where God intervened in my life and just made a miracle from the mess. He pulled me up. He took me out. And I've had people say, well, you had to do your part. And there is truth in that. But I think I was like one or 2% and he was like 98 to 99% of that effort. And so after spending a lot of time in reflection, a lot of time with time, um, doing time, I was able to make some changes with uh, the help of my savior and have this magnificent, amazing, miraculous life. Um, I do want to mention that if I ever seem like I'm cavalier or laughing at some of the things we talk about, it's because I have to laugh because if not, I would spend time crying a lot because it's <laughs> a story and I can't believe that it's my story, but it is. And, and I say it's a sad story, but at the same time, it's the best story of redemption. So um, I have this, I go back and forth with, you know, was it good? Was it bad? And I don't know that I'll ever have an answer for that. I have to say overall, would I do it again? Knowing now what I know, if I could walk away with the same, ex, you know, experience and be the same person. I think I'd have to say yes, mm. only because I don't think for me personally, there was another way to learn what I had to learn. Wow. So why have you decided to tell your story? Why are you comfortable with talking about it now? That's such a good question. I made a promise to my heavenly father that when then when things started to change and things started to go better and I knew that I was done being that person, I promised that I would never hide from this story because it's his story and I'm just the vessel through which he tells the story. And I work in a field that requires a lot of background checks and I don't know how I pass them all the time, but I do. And I never lie about it, but I don't share it a ton with people because I don't feel like some of my skeletons in my closet are everybody's business, but I've never, ever turned down an opportunity to talk about God's love in my life and the power of redemption. Hmm. That is amazing. That's the whole point of having spiritual experiences and, and learning from the atonement is that you remember them and that you use them to learn and to propel you into the future and to not do the things again. Yes. And I, I love that you use the word remember because um, we've talked a lot about it with the come follow me this year in the last couple of weeks, but that I always used to say um, when I was first out of prison, I always used to say to people, I'm going to write a book, watch for it. I don't know what my name will be. My last name, maybe it'll be Adams. Maybe it'll be this, maybe it'll be that, but it's going to be called remember, remember. And the reason I think that that is such an important thing is because if I don't tell the story, I don't remember. And every time this, I tell the story, I just get re-energized. And I just remember I've spent all day thinking about how much God loves me 
and what a blessing he has been in my life. And so I love the retelling of the story just for that reason. It reminds me who I am to God. Hmm. Who have you discovered God to be? Um, I think the person that I know God to be is my biggest cheerleader. And whether we're talking about God, the father or heavenly mother or Jesus Christ there, I, I use the term God for them because that's not so much a name as it is a title. And those, those three individuals, um, along with other angels on other sides of the veil and the side, both have been my biggest cheerleaders. I've discovered that he is fair and he's loving and he's merciful. And he is, he is this guy, this, I shouldn't say guy that's too irreverent, but he is this father who is always ready to forgive and always ready to take us back and always just standing there with his hands out. It's one of the reasons I love the Christus, the statue of the Christus so much because his hands are outstretched and he's like, just come unto me. You know, he's begging us to just come and be with him. And so I found him to be very loving, very benevolent. He's the savior. You know, he's God, the father, he's the guy who developed the whole plan and the whole program Mm -hmm. and has the ability to save and to redeem and to empower. And that's who I have found God to be. When did that perceptive shift happen? Because you haven't always felt that way about him, right? No, as a matter of fact, I always kind of believe my dad, I love him to pieces and there's nothing I could say negative about my dad. Um, I can't that he was a Navy guy, he was an officer. And so he was very strict by the book. This is the way it is. And when you couple that with sometimes the stories that we perceive about God in the Old Testament, he can be kind of um, not very forgiving, not very loving. That's what we think of, but it's so not true. And so my idea of God growing up was he was waiting for me to screw up so he could zap me with a lightning bolt. You know, he could Mm -hmm. be like, you'll learn this time, my girl, you know, and what happened was, um, Shortly before I went to prison, I had been at my dad's house and he said to me, Cheryl, I was super inactive. Like if you take the very worst things you think about a person, that would be me. And he was trying so hard. And he said, Cheryl, I want you to read the Book of Mormon just one more time. And I'm like, no, it's just a great story. I'm not interested. And he's like, Cheryl, please. So finally, after he asked me every day for two weeks and he just had this big open heart surgery, I finally decided that, okay, I'll do it. And so I read it and I told him, he said, oh, he was so excited. He got his bishop of this ward over and he said, well, what did you think? And I was like, it's a great story, but it doesn't matter at the end of the day, how you get in the pool, as long as you get in the pool, meaning as long as you love God, who cares? And my dad was just devastated. So that happens. Then a short period of time goes by and now I'm arrested for good, not going anywhere till I go to prison. And I know that because I've got so much past junk. And as you walk down in Utah County jail, there's two floors and two women in each room. And for the first time in all the times, and it had been a lot (laughs) that I had been in the jail, I didn't have a roommate. And as you walk down the stairs, kind of underneath the stairs, there's a big tall bookcase. And in that bookcase are literally probably a hundred or more Book of Mormons, the black or blue ones, you know, paperback, Mm -hmm. because the girls would bring them in and the girls would leave them there. And I, every time I walked down those stairs, I would hear my dad say, just pick up the book of Mormon, just read it one more time. And I'd be like, shut up in my head, you know, 
And, and I kept hearing it. So finally, kind of a fit of anger, I picked it up as I stomped up the stairs one night and I got in my room and I was super mad at God at this point in my life, like, and had been for a couple of years. And I said, if you've got a message for me, then you better make it really loud and really clear. And so I open up my book of Mormon and it's Alma 32 verses 12 and 13. First, I put my finger down on the page at the very bottom. I can see it like almost, you know, it's the very last, the last verse on that page. And it says, you know, because you're not humble, you're taken out of your, your synagogues. And in my life, my dad always taught me to read the scriptures and liken them unto yourself. Right. So it was like, okay, well, what does that mean? Oh, I've been taken out of my community because of my incredible sins. Oh yeah. So this is what's happening. And then it said, if you want to be humble, if you will repent and turn to God, then I will help you. And I was like, wait, what? No, I'm not ready for that. Slammed that thing shut and said, okay, I got that you. Was a little too clear, but not now it was the most, it was, I always kind of joke and say, I would just need God to send me a neon sign. That was my neon sign. Right. For, you know, so that's when it started. And then it literally was a four year process, 45 months of constant experience after experience after experience one-on-one with my God who tutored me and loved me through this ugly period of my life where he taught me that he's not vengeful and vindictive, mm-hmm. but that he really loves me. And when he says, you are my child, whew, I mean, that's, I think about how much I love my kids and my grandkids. And I did some pretty crap things to my kids. And fortunately they're bigger people than I am because they've forgiven me, but they, the love I have for them is immense. And I think about that, like ultra magnified by the love of God. And I'm like, okay, okay. He loves me. I've got to do, I can do better than this. I will do better than this. Yeah. So why do you choose to stay where you're at right now? Um, I choose to stay for lots of different reasons. And I think, you know, the first one is, is I know personally what it feels like to live on both sides of the fence. Mm -hmm. I know what with rules and people don't like rules, you know, but I, I love rules because rules keep me safe. You know, they, they, um, they keep me in a place where I don't have to worry about, is that a precipice that I'm going to step off of? Well, it doesn't matter. He said, don't go four feet from the edge. So I just will not go four feet from the edge. And I don't have to worry about if it's a precipice. So I know that he'll love me and he'll protect me. And I want to be like him. I want more than anything when I pass from this life into the next life and I have this vision of what that looks like, it's bright and it's light and it's happy and there's flowers and butterflies and nature. And I know that my heavenly father, no matter what I do or don't do, and my savior will be there and they will hold their arms open and I will run to them. And I want to be comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to you're really clean and you're really awesome and you're really great. And I don't deserve that. So that's one reason why I stay is because I want to become like him. Another reason why I stay is because I've decided and because of the things that I've done the last 15 to 20 years, I'm bound to them. There's no breaking the binds that bounds, you know, it's just not going to those things. Again, they'll keep me safe. They're going to allow me to take on the labels that they give me instead of the labels that the world applies. The world applies labels like useless you know, horrible mother, uh, you know, criminal ex con, you know, God doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. He says, of God, he says, beloved, he says, 
you know, child, he, he says the most wonderful things to me. And so I'm bound to him. And when I stay closer to him, then I become more likely to be what he is. And I want that more than I want anything. I want to be the kind of person that no matter who you are, no matter whether I know you or not, I can sit with you. I can listen to you. If, if you need a, a shoulder to cry on, I can be that person. And I do that only as I become like my savior. And I can't do that if I don't know who he is. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, you know, it is so important. So you just referenced this, but the prophet Russell M. Nelson just gave a, a worldwide young single adult devotional. And he talked about that, that labels are very dangerous unless they're the, the three things you're a child of God you are a disciple of Christ. And what was the third thing? I don't know. I didn't listen to it, but oh, that's kind well, of- it was good. You should listen to it. And it, it, it really changed the way I think of things because I looked at the definition of identity and it's, it goes something like um, the defining characteristics, a few defining characteristics of a person and, you know, somebody who is shy and introverted is so much more than those two words, but the the definition of identity sums somebody up to that. And the bad, the bad part about that, uh, that definition also is that a lot of times people identify themselves with their weaknesses. So if you are sneaky and um, daring that's like, you just have a habit of doing those things. It's not like you are a daring person. You're a child of God that has a problem with, or a bad habit of doing X. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. And I, I love that you said that because I think guilt and shame are like that as well. Right. Um, we get these, we get these ideas about things in our head. Like I should feel shame. Like I, I feel shame because of the the things that I did with, you know, I left my family. I feel shame because of, you know, um, the sins I've committed. Shame to me is Satan. Mm-hmm. 100%. Guilt is from God, right? Guilt is removing the labels and guilt is saying I did a thing and the thing is bad, right? Just like what you were saying. Mm. The is bad the action was less than desirable. The outcome isn't what I want. But when we say shame, then we're saying I am bad and I am evil and I am wrong and I am not worthy, you know? And so if we have shame in our life, I feel like we got to figure out how to get rid of that in a quick heartbeat, because that's a tool of Satan's. Hmm. Whereas we talk about guilt guilt motivates us. It helps us remember not to do a thing again, but it helps us to remember not to do a thing. Whereas shame tells us we're a bad being. Hmm. Does that? Yeah, absolutely. I've never thought of it about it that way. I was studying a couple of weeks ago, how every gift or spiritual gift that we get from God has pros and cons just because Satan is the way he is. And I, for example, I am extremely excitable. If you can give me any plan, my husband could say, Liv, I have an idea. Let's move to this tiny town in Mexico. I'd be like, done, done deal. I'm ready to move yesterday because it's like exciting for me. 
But when I was growing up, that excitement, the negative part of that is I was very um, impulsive. I would just do anything in a heartbeat, didn't think of consequences. And that bit me in the butt a lot, like a lot. Have you discovered any spiritual gifts along the way? (laughs) Yes. Although I have to put a disclaimer in front of this. Don't pray for these (laughs) because I always prayed for patience and strength. Bad idea. (laughs) 45 minutes later. I know. I I really do feel like um, I've learned patience with the plan, with God's plan. I feel like that has been a big gift to me. Now, I'm not saying patience with life in general, but patience with God's plan. That's been a spiritual I've been able to um, really receive and that he's given to me. Um, I think another thing that came for me as part of this was a conviction and a desire to be completely and totally regularly converted and cleansed by the sacrament, by keeping and and relearning my covenants, you know, I think that conviction is super strong. My desire is super strong. And Mm -hmm. another thing that has come is I have a super believing heart. Like I don't need to know the mysteries of the gospel. I don't need to know where Kolob lies. I don't need what the Urim and Thummim was made out of. I just want to know how can Cheryl Adams make sure that she is as close to Jesus Christ's heels or next to him, side by side, bound to him as she can be. Mm-hmm. So of that, I have this believing heart. I think my level of compassion has increased exponentially. I feel for people who are struggling, um, humility. I have this love for the book of Mormon. It literally, I feel like saved my life. Like I've heard stories about the guy who was in the service and he had his little book of Mormon in his pocket and a bullet hit him and it stopped in the middle of the book of Mormon and saved his life. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I totally get that. Only it's not right. It was Satan else. And I know I I just, I love that book. I, I, I cannot say enough about the power of the book of Mormon. And then I think the ability, this last one is tied with two things. It's the attitude of gratitude and the ability to see miracles. Like if you walk through life and just like my favorite example is I wander around the house all the time because I'm getting old and I'm looking for something that I set down because I didn't put it where it belonged, right? Keys, phone, glasses that are usually on my head. And I'm like, where did I leave them? And I'm like, Heavenly Father, I'm going to be really, really late to this meeting. Can you please help me remember where I left my keys? And then I'll go, oh, it's over here. Okay. You could argue that that is just, I had a remembering because I stopped running for a second. But I choose to believe that that is Heavenly Father answering my little tiny, itty bitty, non-essential, who cares prayer. And then if I think about it, I'm like, oh, God just created a miracle in my life. He loves me. And I think that changes lives. Mm-hmm. I, I know it does. And so- Yeah, I was reading in Mosiah during my personal study today, and it was King Benjamin's giving his sermon. And he, there's so many people there on basically this big old field. And he says, okay, look, I know that there are a lot of people here, but open your ears to hear and open your hearts to understand the words that he was about to say. He was getting old and he was going to make his son, Mosiah, the king. And 
I, that really hit me today. If I, there's a a huge difference between having ears to hear and hearts to understand. And the whole point of this podcast that I'm making, the smartest one in the room is to have hearts to understand. I think a lot of times the world confuses you with, oh, to be the smart, just using my podcast as an example, to be the smartest one in the room, I have to be one up intelligence wise. I have to be one up with my street smarts or my book smarts or whatever it may be. But if you're missing the your spiritual ears, then you're missing half of the story or even more than half of the story. I would agree hundred percent with you on that. Mm-hmm. And isn't that God uses our heart to talk about understanding and yet says that's the only thing he wants from us is a willing heart. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's the same thing I'm going to get understanding with, but he wants me to give it to him. What do we think? He is going to absolutely 100% make sure that our hearts are totally and completely blessed and filled and we understand everything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So you, you mentioned that one of your spiritual gifts that you've discovered is that you've been able to have more compassion with people. How do you feel like the atonement has helped you see others through different lenses? Yeah. Um, it, (laughs) I, I want to serve a mission. First of all, like that is, I have family situations right now that would need to change before I could serve a mission, but if I could go tomorrow without affecting this family situation, you would see skid marks in my driveway peeling out to solve an interview or to my bishop, I guess it'd be appropriate. But I I feel like, you know, we talk about a cure for cancer, a a cure for world peace, you know, that, that is the answer is bringing people to Jesus Christ and showing them the power of his atonement. That is the fix for everything. And so I feel like, I feel like as I am able to share that message, that that's one way to do it, right? That's one thing that comes from the gift of the atonement and the ability to see things differently. Um, I think another thing that comes from that is just this overwhelming uh, conviction that there is nothing on my own that I am capable of. You know, we live in a society that tells us we don't need God, whatever religion, right? And we live in a place and a time where people think that he is just some guy that walked on the earth and had a lot of good, kind things. And I want to, I want to always remember that for me, it's so much more than that. And I want to commit every week to be the best me that he thinks I can be because my idea of my best me is not his idea of my best me. (laughs) It just isn't, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that, that, um, the atonement has taught me to, to be a little different, to look at things a little different. And then finally, I think it helps me to stay out of judgment because people who live in glass houses, namely myself, you know, I have no business judging anybody ever, ever. And when people say, oh, well, you don't have any clue. I'm like, "Mm, you'd be surprised, (laughs) you know, because it's just a matter of really, we all have junk Mm -hmm. and whether it's a little junk or if it's a smelly junk or whatever our junk is, it is 
going to keep us from the ultimate blessing. It's not going to keep us from the Lord. The Lord's always going to be there, but it is going to keep us from his ultimate blessings, which is eternal. Yeah. I like that last thing that you said that, that I had a conversation with a friend a couple of weeks ago and he said, we create distance with heavenly father. He doesn't. And I think that's so important to remember and for everyone to hear that if you're feeling distant from heavenly father, get to work, like pray, ask him, talk to him, ask him to meet you halfway, meet meet you all the way. But all you have to do is ask. Yes. And I think, you know, when I was in the prison, I felt that way. Exactly. I feel like that's how heaven's going to be. Right. We're going to get to the other side and God's not going to be like you over here and you over there. We're going to be like, oh, I'm so not comfortable with those people because they're just radiating light and goodness. And maybe we're dark, you know, and I felt that way when people would say, oh, I'd love to come visit. I'm like, there's no way. And you know where friends come and visit me in a place like this. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, I would die of humiliation, you know, and yet that's where the Lord met me. Hmm. And I couldn't go anywhere. He was there meeting me, you know. But I think that's how it's going to be. I don't think that it's going to be him judging us. I think we're going to go where we feel comfortable. And that's just the gospel according to Cheryl. Not, no, not I, a- I absolutely, absolutely agree. I had this thought this week that throughout the scriptures in the Bible and any form of um, word, the word of God, it talks about how God will choose his people. Mm-hmm. And I think that that because we tend to take things so literally from the Bible and Book of Mormon or whatever it is, we interpret it for our own and kind of make it our own story. When in reality, we get to choose if we are his chosen people. We get to choose because we have agency and that's the greatest gift he ever gave us. We get to choose if we, um, I heard this great quote that that um, says, Agency is not the right to choose between good and bad. It is the opportunity to choose good. Right. Because he loves us so much, he's giving us an opportunity to be awesome and to, to show how dedicated we are to, to the Lord and to our families that he gave us and everybody, everybody um, that is in our lives. And I just love that. Um, I have a question for you. How have you been able to move ahead of the shame that comes from your experience and be confident in your current state? Yeah, I think that's a, a, another great question. And going back to the idea of guilt, I'm good with shame. I'm not good with, but when I did have a lot of shame, I mean, coming out of prison, it was very, I was, I was, I felt a lot of shame, you know? And I think the thing for me is that I have to remember on a regular basis, because it's not easy for me. Sometimes, sometimes Satan really, I, I feel like he really wants my, I, I don't even know if it's appropriate to share, but there's a couple words in my patriarchal blessing that says fires to sift me as wheat or chaff or whatever. And I'm like, I don't want that, you know? So if he has this desire to mess me up and take me off the path, I'm so grateful that I can know that because now I know what to watch for. So what I have to do is on the regular, I have to be willing to renew my covenants. I have to be willing to remember always that I am God's daughter. I have a heavenly mother and a heavenly father that created universes without end. 
that's pretty smart. Mm-hmm. I heard a that unless you can create the universe and all that's in it within six days, perhaps giving advice to God isn't such a hot idea. And well, because that's how I, I feel like if they say to me, you are my child and I love you, who am I to call them a liar? Mm. You don't really love me. You just say that to me for what, why would they say something they don't believe? So the biggest thing is remembering who I am and whose I am. Mm. Jesus Christ bought me, right? He He died on the cross for me. And then he came to the ugliest place that I've ever been in, in the darkest time of my personal life and lifted me up and set me out of there in a path that I never, they would say, oh, close your eyes and imagine where you'll be in five years. And I always used to think some tiny dinky little rundown apartment. Nobody comes to visit. I don't have any friends, blah, blah, blah. Wow. Was my vision short? You know, it is not like that at all. And like I said previously, I think the big thing is remembering, I have to go back and I have to visit these questions and this experience, which kind of would be easier to put behind me and never speak of again, but it's better for me to go there because then I can remain humble. And if I'm humble, I'm teachable. And if I'm teachable, there's a hope and a chance for me, you know, but if I don't, if I'm proud and I get hard hearted and stiff necked again, I'm toast. Mm. I'm just it's then I'm back down the wrong path, headed the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing is constantly turning to Jesus, you know, whether that looks like repentance, whether that looks like taking of the sacrament, which is part of the repentance pro- process. And then, of course, I also think it is believing on a regular basis. One of my favorite quotes uh, is from Boyd K. Packer, and he said, um, Save for the very few who defect to perdition, there is no habit, no addiction, no rebellion, no transgression, no apostasy, no crime that is exempted from the promise of complete forgiveness through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And I had to memorize that one because I'm like, did you guys hear that? (laughs) I mean, there's nothing, nothing that can keep us from Jesus Christ. Hmm. And if I remember that, I am empowered. I am powerful. And I have the ability then to really feel like I deserve to be yoked up to Jesus. Like I deserve to be my heavenly father and heavenly mother's child. Hmm. I am anymore, you know? Wow. You are amazing to be able to not only overcome something so hard and so it, it, it destroyed a lot of your life. And you were able to build up all the bridges that were torn down throughout the, the um, process. And not many people, one, have the strength to do that, but also believe in themselves that they can do that. Well, I honestly don't think it's me. I think Jesus loves me. Yeah. I don't, I'm sometimes I'm like, really? Why is that? Because I've kind of been a knucklehead this week, you know? But it's not, it's not me. It's not my power. It's not my, it's his wisdom, his power, his glory. And that sounds like the trite primary answer, but it's so totally not. It is truth, right? All I had to do was say, I'm ready. Hmm. And that happened a few uh, days on Easter Sunday before I got arrested. Hmm. I just praying and they, I called it a prayer, you know, help me get out of this. I don't want to be in this life anymore. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to turn and that's all I had to do. And I mean, I was super high and it was a super drunky mess. And, and I 
could still utter those words to a God who, who said, Hey, you're a hot mess, but I'm going to come to you anyways, you know? And then not only did he come to me, but he fixed me, right? He like literally fixed me. He bound up my wounds. He fixed all of me. And it's not a completely done process. There are days when I'm still like, Oh, this can't be happening, you know? But I always have asked, why me? What is it? Well, I don't have to ask that. It's because he is my savior. And as I, all I have to do is say, I can't. And he says, I can. And so then I think I'm going to sit back and let him. Hmm. Wow. What advice would you give to somebody who's going through a similar path of darkness and confusion? (laughs) I think the best thing to do is just whatever sentence you need to say, whatever song you need to sing. For me, a lot of times it was um, that song that we sing in primary, um, Heavenly Father, are you really there? Do you really answer every child's prayer? And I would sing that over and over again. And then I would sing the next verse. I'm here. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and, and I think that for me, you know, you have to find what works for you if you're in that spot. And if you can't believe in Jesus Christ today, start hanging out with somebody who does. Put yourself with people who you want to be like. If you go hang out at the gym expecting that you're going to get skinny and you hang out with all the fat people that are eating chocolate bars at the bar, you're probably not going to be successful. If you go to the gym and work out with the trainers that are like killing it, chances are pretty good. You're going to have it, you know? And I think that that is something that we can not take lightly. We're lights to others. And if you aren't able to find your own light, or if you can't see the light of Jesus Christ, find the light of somebody that you know, and believe that statement from Boyd K. Packer, believe that from him. And then remember, uh, I can't remember, it was Peter Nielsen, I think, well, let me look, I wrote it down just because I knew I would forget. Um, but, but there was a conference talk a couple of years ago um, by Elder Peter Johnson, and it was called Every Day... Or, no, it was called the power to overcome the adversary. And he said, read your scriptures every day, every day, every day, take the sacrament every week, every week, every, you know, and I think that's what you have to do. Even if you don't feel like you can just do it, just do it. And it will bring little changes over a very short period of time. And if you don't see change, ask somebody to tell you, because chances are pretty good. You're not looking at it with the right state of mind. The mind that creates the problem can't fix the problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love the prophet so much. (laughs) He says, the Lord knows you and loves you. He is your savior and your redeemer. He leads and guides his church. He will lead and guide you in your personal life. If you will make the time for him in your life each and every day. And I think that even though Jesus Christ and God did it all for you, you still had to say, okay, I'm ready. And if we really stop and remove ourselves from the the tendencies of the natural man of thinking about number one, thinking about ourselves, that we can be completely uplifted and our lives will change and our, our hearts will soften when we see the amount of tiny little moments that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are there with you the whole entire time. Every step of the way. Okay. The last question I'll ask you is how do you feel like you've been able to discover your potential and true identity through this experience? 
Yeah. So a lot of my crimes involved other people's identities. <laughs> so it was um, identity theft and um, and so I feel like that's what Satan wants us to do, right? He wants us to forget who we are. He wants us to take on the identity of the world. He wants us to think about our worldly identity. You're Olivia who's making podcasts. You're not a child of God. You're a mom, but you're not a perfect mom, right? You're a felon. Your kids will never. So he always is planting these, these seeds of, of lie, right? Based on truth, some of them, like he takes the truth and he twists it just enough that it zings you, right? And so for me, I think that when I think about change and being different and going forward and moving forward, it has to be with the whole idea that I always remember my divine identity, that I always remember the things that we've talked about in young women's for years. When I served in young women's, it was, you know, I'm a daughter of heavenly father who loves me. Now it's, I'm a beloved daughter of heavenly parents. You know, if I can remember that and come to believe, right. Sometimes we don't believe that, but what if I come to believe, what if I say it's possible that heavenly father could love me exponentially? What if it's possible that we can, you know, live with him again? What if it's possible that he can forgive me, even though I did X, Y, and Z? I mean, for heaven's sakes, he forgave me and I wasn't ugly, ugly. And I don't mean looks, I mean, an ugly kind of person. Do you know what I mean? Doing awful, horrible things in the name of crime and drugs, you know, and still I get to come through the other side of this now. And I know I know I am a daughter of heavenly parents who love me. I don't doubt that. I've seen that. My experiences are always based on, like, I have a hard time with projecting affirmations because they're so far from the truth. So I have to start little, right? I believe it's possible that I can do this. Mm. That, But now I know. And how do I know that? Because every single day, I can tell you of an example where God has intervened in my life. Not, not once a week, not twice a month, every single day. Hmm. And so if I look at that and go, well, why would he suddenly stop? Does it mean my life is perfect? No. Does it mean that there's no problems? Heck no. Does it mean life is easy? No, I could get a whole long list of what's wrong or what I think should be better, or how I wish this or wish that, but that doesn't do me any good. Why don't I tell you about what the things are that are happening in my life that proves to me without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ, my brother and my heavenly father and my heavenly mother love me. How about if I start with that list? Hmm. And it, you know, hmm. at the prison, they had me make a list of a hundred reasons I was grateful to have received this really mean, mean letter from a person who I thought loved me mm. and it was addictive and mean. And I said, I can't come up with ways to be grateful for that. And they said, yes, you can. They gave me some examples and I'll tell you it changed my life. And so sometimes I have to find ways to be grateful and that I can do because I know heavenly father loves me. I know it. Wow. I don't think. Wow. One of the contributing and probably one of the most valuable contributing factors to reaching your potential is the amount of gratitude that you have. Yeah. That just goes to show how, how much 
Heavenly Father has your best interests in mind. He totally does. And he has yours and his and hers and theirs as well. Mm. And that thing is we forget that because we get stuck in the lie that you're not worth it. You're not good enough. It's, you know, whatever label we choose to stick on it. And it's, it's ugly. I mean, I still struggle with some labels, you know, and I'm trying to peel them off. And sometimes I like them where they're at because I'm comfortable with them there, you know, Yeah. but at all. So. Yeah. Well, if there's one thing that we need to remember is that we are loved and we are worth being loved and we're worth getting to know. And we are daughters and sons of God and brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. That's awesome. Wow. I think you're amazing. And I think that it's been hard for you, obviously, but you have really figured out how to give yourself to the Lord and really understand that why not do it with him? You don't have to do it by yourself. You really don't have to. It's It takes vulnerability and humility to do it. But once you peel the Band-Aid off, it's so much easier. 100%. Thank you for being on this podcast with me. You are amazing and such a good role model of, of how to apply the atonement and be awesome because of it. Well, thank you. And thanks for letting me be the smartest per- person in the room tonight. <laughs> <laughs> for my minute of my minute of smart. 